Today we're going to talk about how, how do we win at life? There's a lot of theories about how we might think we might win. But how do we win at life? I remember for so many years, I felt so defeated, so broken. There was no joy. There was no victory. I was just broken. I remember, I thought when I came to Christ, all that would change. That when I came to Christ, that I would have victory over sin, that temptation would no longer uh, afflict me, that I would be successful in everything, and that just wasn't the case. I remember coming to a, a service similar to this one. And I would remember feeling so broken about my sin because I had just finished sinning. And so I would come to the first service. They had multiple services. I would come to the first service. And in that first service, it would all sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. You, you remember Charlie Brown's teacher? Wah, 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 wah. Because the noise in my head was so loud. Then by the time the second service came on, I could actually start hearing some things. And the word of God would pierce my heart, remind me of the forgiveness that's found at the cross of Christ. And I would be encouraged and I would tell myself, I am never going to fall into that pit. I'm never going to fall into that sin again. And then Monday would come and with great resolve, I would, I would succeed. I would be doing well. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, some sort of thoughts would come into my head. I would be like, whoa. Thursday, the temptation would become great. Friday, I would be holding on for dear life, and Saturday, I would act out. And I just couldn't find success in life. I couldn't win. How, how does a guy like me, I'm talking about me, who has struggled with his sexual identity, who has wrestled with bitterness and lust, how does a guy like me find victory? I wanted to win at life, but I just found myself losing over and over again. I think, I think if we all get honest, we all kind of feel like losers at life sometimes. Like we don't, and I'm not even talking about holding our standards up to the word of God at this point. All I'm talking about is holding up your own standards. Like, you don't, you have standards that you don't meet up to. You go, I'll never be like that, and then you become just like that. I'll never do that, and then you do just that. I'll never act that way, and then I act just that way. How does a guy like me, who is as broken as me, who is as tempted as me, how does a guy like me find victory, find joy? How does a guy like me win at life. Today, that's what we're going to discuss. And there's no surprise at the answer to the question. I'm going to tell you our big idea in just a few minutes, but let me tell you about our series before I do. We're in a brand new series. For this season of Lent, we're going to be, I'm going to be preaching every week, um, going into Easter, and we're going to be talking about, as we um, continue in Lent, we're going to be talking about this incredible encounter with Jesus. 
that when people encountered Jesus, they were never the same. If you or I struggle with a sin or struggle with a temptation for long periods of time, what we need most is not another rule. What we need most is an encounter with Jesus. If you and I find ourselves wrestling with a temptation, wrestling with a weakness, wrestling with something that we don't want to do but we feel is calling us, in fact, we would even say, we would even call it our identity. We would even say, but this is just who I am. Why do you keep on fighting? If you find yourself being drawn, I'm telling you, you need an encounter with Jesus. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about what happened when people encountered Jesus, how it changed their lives, and how it changed the lives of those around them. And so I don't want this just to be a message for the person sitting in your seat. I want it to not only so impact you, but so impact you that others are blessed because of how God encounters you right here in this place right now. And so... the temptation will be throughout the season of Lent is to skip a week. Go, you know what, I'll, I'll just skip the next week. I, you know, there's laundry to do. There's, uh, you know, the, the shopping or compra or, or you, know, the, you know, spring cleaning is coming up and you're going to have to do that. And I'm going to tell you to, I'm just going to tell you to, to ask God to help you to avoid that falling into that temptation. Because let me tell you something. Everything depends on what we're going to talk about in this series. Your marriage, your marriage, the joy that you, you possess inside your marriage depends on what we're going to talk about, on encountering Jesus. Your, your singleness. If you're going to be single and yet still have joy, even if it's later stage in life, you're going to need to understand this encounter with Jesus. Maybe you're suffering or someone that you love is suffering. And you see them suffering and you're just broken hearted. How are you going to endure that with joy and strength? You're going to need an encounter with Jesus. So I'm telling you, you don't want to miss a week of this series. And this week, we're going to answer the question, how do we win at life? And God knows that every one of us are going to want to win at life. And so he's given us his word, this very word that we're going to look at today to be reminded of how we can win at life, how an encounter with Jesus can transform us. Now, the, the big idea for today is not going to surprise you. You're not going to go, oh, my gosh, this is like the newest news I've ever heard. Whoa, that was so sick. In fact, I told my wife my big idea, and she was like, meh. It's not like super sexy, right? <laughs> but I'm telling you, we're going to dig, we're going to try to dig deep on it. Because every one of us want to win in life. And the problem is, is that the way we think we'll win in life varies. And some of us think we win at life by running away from God. And some of us, we think we'll win at life by doing religious rituals being good people, you know, obeying all the rules. Some of us are rule breakers, and some of us are rule keepers. And we think that's the way we'll win at life. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's neither, 
It's neither those who put on the leather jacket. Can you hear the motorcycle in the background? <laughs> and those of us who say, you know what? The only way I'm going to win at life is to separate myself from God. You know what my problem is? My problem is, is that I've been brought up with these religious ideas, with these religious uh, uh, principles, and the only way I'm ever going to be free, the only way I'm ever going to be free is to get away from the church, is to get away from uh, the Bible, is to get away from Jesus, and it, you know, it's to get away from that encounter with Jesus. That's the way I'm going to win at life. In fact, I don't even have to make that point too strongly, do I? Some of you are here with a desperate need for God because you lived your life for years trying to run away from a God who was pursuing you. You lived for years thinking that you would find your joy, your identity, who you were apart from God. No, 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 no. You don't understand. This is who I am. This is how I go. This is what I do. And it was all sin, all running from God. Ah, don't give me that God stuff. I grew up with that God stuff. Don't give me, I've got my leather jacket on. I'm running away from God. I know, me too. I did that for a while. But then there's another, there's another group of us. And we, we have another jacket. Can you hear the violins? And we put on our suit jacket. And we say, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to go to the church service, and I'm going to pray at morning, noon, and night, and I'm going to memorize the scriptures, and I'm going to eat my Christian cookies and dress in my Christian clothing and say my Christian words, and if I just do that, if I just say hallelujah enough, if I just speak my Christian words, and you don't understand, you're as lost as the leather guy. You don't understand that both the jackets will leave you in peril. It is not about rules and rituals. Those things will destroy. They'll, if you think about what Jesus says about obeying the rules, it'll crush you. you the problem, the reason that you're not crushed right now, when, if you're a rule keeper, I'm, by the way, this is the, this is the family I fall into. I want to be a good guy. I want to be seen as a good husband, good father. And if you look at the rules that Jesus has asked us to live, it'll crush you. I mean, like really, really crush you. Think about this. All right, here's a simple rule. You've heard it before. Let me give it to you, okay, for all you religious folk. You ready? Love your enemies. Discuss. Really? Love my enemy? Do you know what the definition Jesus is of an enemy? It's a terrible thing. It's a person who wants my ill. A person who wants nothing but bad for me. You want me to act in accordance of your love with the person who only wants to malign, hurt, and wound me? It'll crush you. Go ahead, try to do that in your own strength. What we need is not more rules. What we need is not more rituals. What we need is an encounter with Jesus. So, what's the big idea? Remember I told you it wasn't going to be sexy. It was going to be like, meh. Here it is. Life is one in worship. See what I mean? 
Nah. Life is one. You want to win at life? Don't go the rebellious route. Don't go the, you know, whatever rebellion looks like to you. Don't go that route. Don't go the religious route. Both of those are sin. Go the gospel route. Find your joy and your life fulfilled in worship. Now, I'm talking to those of you who are struggling with besetting sin. You know what besetting sin is? Besetting sin is the kind of sin that keeps on coming back to you in your life that you don't want to talk about too much because you be, it makes you feel very sad. And if you find yourself talking about it enough, you feel very stupid because you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm talking about this again. It's like every week. If you have a besetting sin in your life, you need this message. You go, I can't stop spending. I spend to the degree where I'm, I'm in such debt, the tension is getting unbearable. I almost want to die. Because you're, you're looking, listen to me, you're worshiping the wrong thing. You think that you'll be saved by another purchase. Maybe, maybe you have a body image problem. And so what you do is that you, I mean, the, the body image problems are, are a dime a dozen, so there's a million things you do. Maybe you cut yourself. I don't know. And you think that the only way I can relieve this horrible feeling is by getting my mind on a different kind of pain. Maybe that's you. Maybe your body image problem is that you are really hurting yourself. You eat until you throw up, and you do this. And it's, it's not like every day, so he's like, no, 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 I'm not, it's not like every day, it's just in cycles. Because you think the only way that you're going to be free, only way you're gonna have joy, binge, purge. Maybe some of you, it's a screen on an image. Maybe you have an idea that a lifestyle, this will satisfy you. And you're saying no to it now, but you're just, you're like this closed. You're like on your way. Beloved, you need an encounter with Jesus. Our lives are one in worship. Now let's look into the scriptures about how the apostles were confronted with Jesus and how it changed their life completely. Can we do that? Let's do it. We're going to go to the Book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Let me give you a little bit of uh, background history. Um, Jesus has just finished revealing who he is. Remember, he goes to the disciples and he says, who do they say I am? And they go, oh man, you're this, that, and the third. And then he goes, who do you say I am? And then Peter comes out, and he says this awesome declaration. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting. Mashiach, now. Right now. It's like mind-blowing. It's the one we've been waiting for. Then Jesus says this, well, actually, before this, um, then um, Jesus starts telling the disciples about how he's going to have to suffer. And Peter, have you ever done this? Have you ever told God um, something he didn't know? That's what Jesus does. 
I mean, that's what Peter does to Jesus. He goes, he goes I, I've done this before. I go, God, but you don't understand. I'm getting older. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> God, I don't have any money to do this. Oh, I'm glad you said that. We do this to the, we, we try to tell God things he doesn't know all the time. God, don't you know I'm getting older? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got this under control. So Peter, Jesus is telling everybody how he's going to have to suffer and die for the sins of this world. And what happens? Peter pulls him on the side. He goes, Jesus, psst, let me get a word. He goes, Jesus, you got to stop talking like that. You got, stop talking like that. It's a bad PR move. And Jesus, Jesus is serious at this point. He goes, oh, yeah, get behind me, Satan. He calls, you know you've messed up when Jesus calls you Satan. Right? You know you've blown it. Like, you know you've gone the wrong way. When Jesus' nickname for you in that moment is Diablo, right? Like you go, oh my goodness, not the right thing to say, I'm guessing. Okay, so he does that. And then, like about six to eight days later, then we, we get to where we are in this passage from that point. About eight days after Jesus, that's, that's what that part is talking about. And why don't you... I haven't done this in so long, I've forgotten to do this. Why don't we stand at the reading of God's word? Let's stand. Awesome. Awesome. If you can. I mean, if you've got like bad knees or something, I get it. Now let's read this together. On a count of three. One, two, three. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son. Whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at this time what they had seen. Perfect. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So this is called the Mount of Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Jesus, as you see in the text, is literally being transfigured right before their eyes. In fact, let's read about it. In verse 29, it says this, As he was praying, the appear- he is, uh, is Jesus. As Jesus, he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flashing of light. Do you see why they, the three Gospels record this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics record this, and they all give different details, which is so cool because you get like this big, broad, panoramic picture of what's going on. They all record this, and they say that there was like a light emanating from Jesus. Now, here's the deal, folks. The miracle isn't that a light came out of Jesus. The miracle is that Jesus kept this light from coming out all the other times of his earthly life. You see, Jesus is God. Somebody say Jesus is God. And I know that for some of you, you grew up in uh, different environments, maybe Mormon environments, or especially in Brooklyn, Jehovah Witness environments, or maybe you grew up in uh, uh, Muslim environments where they said Jesus is a good teacher, but, or a good prophet, but he's not God. Or, or, or maybe you grew up in a Jewish environment where he's like, yeah, he was a good guy, but he's not the Messiah, he's not God. I'm telling you, over and over and over again in the scriptures, we are confronted with the fact that the disciples are telling us what Jesus knew about himself to be true, which is Jesus is God. And his glory emanates from him. And they are blown away. They are blown away. So as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as the flashing of light. Two men Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. I love this. Now, the question is, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Like, how did the disciples know it was Moses and Elijah? And, of course, the answer is we don't know. <laughs> they just knew. Now, there could be a couple of answers. Jesus could, they could have said, Jesus, who were you? You know, after this happened, they could have said, Jesus, who were those guys? And he said, oh, yeah, just Moses and Elijah. That could have been as simple as that. Or it could be that we will know each other. When we're in heaven, we will know each other without introduction. There will be just a familiarity. We'll be, there'll be a knittedness together. And they just knew. Either way, they knew it was Moses and Elijah. I love it because both Moses and Elijah met with God on a mountain. Do you remember this? Moses meets with God on a mountain. God gives him the ten words, the Decalogue. Right? Or, or, or the Ten Commandments, as we know it. And God gives him that. And Moses comes off the mountain and his face glowed. It was, do you remember that? It like shone because it was like, wow, the glory of God. With Moses, the glory of God was external, shining on Moses, and then his face radiated. With Jesus, it was the glory of God in him radiating out. Elijah experienced the same thing. He was on a mountain. You remember, God doesn't come in the earthquake. God doesn't come in the storm. God doesn't come, God doesn't come in the fire. God comes in the still, small voice, the whisper. And now these two men 
two men who we don't know, right? Elijah never died. He got called up to be into heaven. Moses died, but God buried him. And so we don't know where he's buried. And so both of them meet Jesus on the mountain. Both of them had mountaintop experiences. Both of them are meeting with Jesus on the mountain. And they're talking about something powerful. Listen to what they're talking about. Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. What did they talk about? I'd like to know. Verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. It's interesting. Listen to me. It's interesting that even in the moment of Jesus' transfiguration, they're talking about Jesus' cross-bearing. Actually, and I don't like to do this because I want us to get into our English Bibles, most of us, but in the Greek, in the Greek, the word departure is exodus. They were talking about his exodus. This is important because the, what, what uh, Luke is doing, what, what Matthew is doing, what Mark is doing, they are pointing back to an exodus. Do you remember when everyone was in bondage? Everyone was gripped by oppression and could not be free. We were the people of God, but we had no freedom. And then this glorious thing happens. It's the exodus. And God moves on our behalf, not only to break us free, but to bring us into to a joyful land of plenty. God does this in miraculous ways. Ten plagues at first, and then a marvelous parting of the waters. And it's an amazing story. And they're talking about a greater exodus that will happen. A greater exodus that will not just deliver people from physical bondage after a period of time, but spiritual and, and, and emotional bondage that you and I no longer have to be bound to the abuses and the lies that we've told ourselves that we no longer, they're talking about an exodus that would come for all of us if we would see Jesus in his glorious light. Some of, listen to me, some of you hate yourselves. There's an exodus. There's an exodus from that. Some of you are just tripping over the same sin over and over again. There's an exodus from that. Some of you are are thinking that you're going to find your righteousness in what you do, reading your Bible, coming to a service, doing all this other stuff, and you're just mistaken. There's an exodus. And Jesus is that way. He is that exodus. That's what they're talking about. So we see that life, well, we see that Jesus is God and that he would achieve for us an incredible victory. A victory that we could never win on ourselves. This is why when Satan comes and tells you, you know how bad you are? You're so bad. You're really evil. You can go to, you don't, have to, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to go, no, I'm not. I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I'm a good daughter. I'm a good son. I'm a good friend. I'm a good, no, 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 no. You can go, listen, you can be free because you've gone through the exodus. You've seen Jesus as glorious and wonderful. And so you can, as you meditate on the glory of Jesus, that he's taken on your sin. And you've given him, uh, he's given you, you've given him your sin and he's given you his righteousness. Beloved, that means we could walk in confidence 
Not being all caught up in what others think of us. Now, it's important. If you're sinning, that when brothers and sisters come up to you and say, brother, you're sinning. Sister, you're sinning. It's important that when that happens, that you don't use a message like this to shut everybody out because you're sinning and you're heading on to damnation. Why would you do that? Don't do that. What I'm talking about is as you've surrendered to Christ and you hear those negative uh, accusations from the evil one that come from your mind, that come from Satan, that come from the world, as you hear those, you can go, when Satan tells me that I'm a, a bad husband, first, by the way, that hurts me because I want to be thought as a, as a good husband. But when I get my bearings, I go, oh, no, it's worse than that. In fact, it's so bad that someone who's perfect would have to die for me because, because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus went to the mountain, was transfigured to show us that he was God. But and then he went to another mountain where he was shown as the propitiation for our sin. In other words, the one who took on the wrath of the Father so that you and I could get the joy. See, as you think about that, as you, see, do you understand why when I say life is one in worship, when you think about that, who cares what they used to call you? Who cares what they used to say about you? Who cares if the family didn't invite you to this particular event? I, I don't know about your family. My family, I think, is like the black sheep of our whole family. Like every cousin, just about every cousin has gotten married. I've yet to get an invitation to any one of those. My brother hasn't. My sister hasn't. We are like the, my, my family is the black sheep. And I, for a long time, was the black sheep of the black sheep of the family. Right? <laughs> And, and who cares? I can love them, not because they love me. It's not junior high school love. It's a gospel love. I can love them, and I can wish well for them, and I can feel elated for them because I've been loved already, and it's been so overflowed inside my heart that it pours out. But the problem is that you sit here and you go, but I still wrestle because you haven't had this encounter with God. You haven't had this encounter with God, the Son, who you must see as glorious. You haven't had it. You know it intellectually, but it hasn't made the distance from here to here. You know it. Like if I gave you the Christian test, you would go, you'd get 100. But it's not deep. You don't experientially know it. It's like a different deal when you deeply know it. The apostles are woken up to this. You see this right here. Now, um, let, me, let me just show you uh, three ways you can win um, that life is one in worship. I'm going to show you three ways. Three ways to see Jesus. Three ways to see this. They, they give us an example right here in the text. And the first is that you gaze you gaze upon Jesus. You gaze upon Jesus. Look at what happens in the apostles. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Look up at me. The reason, listen, these guys had been walking with Jesus for years, but they didn't see Jesus 
the way he truly was. They didn't see. They, they, they knew it. Yes, Peter had just said, you are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. Peter had said it. But and then one day he awoke to it. Do you see? He awoke to it. He, his eyes opened. He knew it, but and then he knew it. I don't, I don't know about you. Um, there, are, there are things in life that you just really, really believe. After, and, and some of them are not true, and some of them are. But there comes a point where you go, oh, yeah, I really, really believe that. I remember one time I was in a doctor's office, and I had heard that you're supposed to drink like room temperature water. It's good for you. It's better if you drink like room temperature water. But for some reason, that guy said it. He goes, oh, yeah, just, and he wasn't even talking to me. He was talking to someone else. He goes, yeah, you should have room temperature water. And I was like, I should have room temperature water. It was like a like mind-blowing moment. This is their moment. This is their moment. Listen to me, beloved. Your moment might be just a second away. Where you go, yeah, of course Jesus is God. And just, what? Jesus is God. This is especially powerful. If you've been coming to church since you were a kid, or if you've been coming to church for years, there comes a moment where it just kind of comes alive. The light bulb goes off. I am praying right now that Jesus would make you awake to who he is so that you don't look at your issues in life and think that you'll find salvation in the way you think you can find salvation, but that you would find salvation in Jesus. It's not found in this other stuff, not in this other stuff. They become fully awake. So first one is to gaze upon Jesus. Think about Jesus. Meditate on who he is. Like, what, oh my gosh, here's God who would die on the cross for me. Here is God who would come and live a life that I should have lived but didn't and die the death that I deserve to die but don't have to. Let's go to the next. First, if we're going to live a life of worship, if we're going to win in life and live a life of worship, the second thing we're going to need, not only to gaze on Jesus but to obey And this is one that's lost. It's like, you have to obey. So we see that here. Um, In, uh, let's see if I could find, uh, verse 31. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, three tabernacles, is what he was saying. He was saying, let's put up two, three tabernacles. This was the wrong answer, as we're going to find out in a second. In fact, even Luke gives him a way out. He goes like this, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Luke, being as merciful and kind to Peter as he is, he goes, he didn't know what he was saying. It was like, you know, you put this little caveat. Peter didn't really know what he was saying. He was just so shocked about the whole moment. While Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared. Because you see, uh, Peter wanted three tabernacles put up because he wanted to equate Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And I'm telling you, Jesus is in a category all of himself. There's no comparison. It's not Jesus is not one among other wise men. Jesus is God. He goes, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. 
and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, oh my gosh, saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. What is the next three words? Listen to him. Listen. In, 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 other, uh, in uh, Matthew and Mark, what they say is, obey. Your joy, your success, your winning in life is not going to be found by doing it your way. It's not only gazing upon Jesus, seeing him as glorious as he actually is, but it's about surrendering your will to his. But there's such a a spirit in America. There's such a spirit in America that says, no, 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 we're going to do this our way. That me and and God disagree, me and Jesus disagree, I'm right, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had like this. It's like, no, 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 no. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, certainly not at the expense of your obedience. It's bizarre to think of how we twist God's word to make God the servant of us. It's, it's, like, it's like God gave us the gift of making us in his image And in our rebellious moments, we return the favor. We make God into our own image. We go, God likes what I like. God will do what I do. God will co-sign what I like. And it's madness. If you listen to me, some of you right now are in a depression. And I can tell you, it's it's disobedience. Oh, my goodness. And as a person who has experienced depression a lot in his life, and so you're... Here's your solution. Your solution is not try to, okay, now I'm going to really be obedient. Now I'm going to really be obedient. Jesus, I'm not going to disobey you in that thing ever again. No. No, that would be madness because you're going to fall again. We know that. You know that. You've you've said that before. And your solution is not going, well, since I can't keep the the commandment, do you hear the motorcycle? (laughs) Since I can't keep the commandment, Who needs Jesus? I'm out of here. That's it. Taking my toys. Going home. No. No. It's going, Jesus, you're so glorious. Would you be glorious enough to live in me and give me a longing and a desire for you to to find the very delight that I'm looking for? Listen, I'm trying to find this delight in this lover. Would you make you the lover of my soul? Let me find that delight in you. I'm trying to find this delight in this money. But would you make you the treasure of my heart so that I might enjoy and delight and celebrate? I find this delight in this. I mean, just choose it. What's your sin, right? You know. And go, no, God, you be my delight. You see, it's not about trying. It's about trusting It's not about running. It's about resting in Christ. He's our joy. He's my satisfaction. He's the ability to endure suffering and endure hardships. He is our strength. He is our all in all. It comes from an obedience, and that obedience doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from, remember the first thing? It's to gaze. It comes from gazing And then lastly, to abide. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. 
The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. They harbored this. They let this percolate in their hearts. If we're going to win at life, if after we've had an encounter with Jesus, Jesus is going to call us by the power of his Holy Spirit. In other words, he's going to give us the strength and the ability and the delight to do this. He's, he does this in our own lives to gaze at him and, and see him as glorious. To not only gaze at him, to obey him and then to abide in him, to rest in him. Don't go nowhere. Where are you going? Don't go nowhere. So, I can tell you that we need to encounter Jesus. And in your situation, if you don't encounter Jesus, you're not going to get free. So what you need is not more. You don't need more of the stuff that you've done in the past. What you need is Jesus. I love this mountain because this mountain reminds us, even in the text, and I shared with you briefly, there was a mountain that Jesus was on where his glory was revealed. But there was another mountain that that mountain was looking forward to where he would experience shame, the shame that you and I deserve. In this mountain, he was, he was clothed in light, blinding light. In the next mountain, for your sake, for you, take it personal. It's not an object. It's not a principle. It's a person who was thinking of you. This mountain, he was clothed in light. In the next mountain, he'll be stripped and naked. In this mountain, he was flanked by Elijah and Moses. In the next mountain, he'll be flanked by soldiers. He did that for you. In this mountain, there was a bright cloud. In the next mountain, there'll be darkness that covers the earth. In this mountain, Peter says how wonderful Jesus is. In the next mountain, he will have denied him before he ever got there. In this mountain, everyone hears, this is, my this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. And in the next mountain, there'll be silence. All of that happens for your sake. Beloved, you need an encounter with Jesus. And that encounter with Jesus is found in our worshiping Jesus. And the way we worship Jesus is by seeing him as he really is. We gaze upon him. By obeying his words, listening to him, we obey him. And by abiding in him, resting in and longing for and seeing him. Not just going, oh, Edwin, you broke the cigarette smoking rule. But going, God, why do I want that cigarette? Well, I want that cigarette because it calms my nerves. Oh, well, here's the truth about me, Jesus. You don't call my nerves. Marlboro does. You're not my peace. Marlboro is. See, the point isn't whether smoking is a sin or not. The point is, who are you going to for your salvation? I was uh, 
I was thinking about this sermon, and I was thinking of um, uh, Ray had preached here a few times, and I was like, man, if Raymond was preaching the sermon, how would he bring this point out? And I, and I thought this. If, if Raymond was preaching his, uh, this sermon, he would have said this. He would have said, get woke, go broke, and get soaked. Here's what I mean. He would say, get woke, be awake to the fact, alive, become alive in the truth that Jesus is God. Get broke. Be broken. Submit and humble yourself unto the glory of Christ. Get soaked. Rest and abide in Jesus. But Ray's not here, but I thought you'd like that. Here's the point. Life is one in worship. And if you are going to go from worshiping the things that you enjoy to worshiping Jesus, you're going to have to awaken, gaze upon the beauty of his majesty. Now, good news. Everything that I just told you, you know, woke, broke, soak, gaze, obey, abide, you can't do it. You've tried before. You'll never be able to do it. All your body, listen, all you and I ever want is our sin. We don't want it. Paul says it like this, no one, no one, that means you, no one looks for God. No one. So good news. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. After you've tried your heart out, after you've done everything you do to do what this sermon has said, go to Jesus and say, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and what? I'll give you rest. What? See me as I truly am, God. Obey me because what I want for you is far better than what you have for yourself. And abide. Don't leave, man. Don't leave. Now this week, as you go on, here's what I want you to do. Just as you find yourself deviating, don't beat yourself up because you're deviating from God's word. Just go, God, I just found out the truth about me. I don't want you. I want this. And go, would you change my heart about that? Would you change my heart about how you're a better pleasure to me than massages are? How you're a better pleasure than me, to me than the pursuit of money? How you're a better pleasure to me than the approval of my children? That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to proclaim your word, your word that is more beautiful than life. And Lord, every one of us, every one of us has a tendency to run to sin to find our salvation or run to, or run to rules either rebellion or religion. But Lord, would you remind us, even as you've spoken your word to us, would you remind us hmm, and it's not about religion and it's not about rules. It's about the gospel. That we might see Jesus as he truly is. Be awakened to that.
be broken before you and see you as glorious. Make that true for every one of us here, oh God. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the series. We ask, oh God, that you would take the truths that we just spoke about and would you just dig them deep into our heart. For we do pray in Jesus' name.